Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're with Running Light Ministries, and we're excited to be with you guys today. We're finally going to get back into our podcast. <laughs> uh, I did mess up our last one. I don't know if I told everybody that, but <laughs> what me and Peter spent two hours probably on this one blog and I unfortunately saw that it was recording but it recorded with our our actually cam mic and so it didn't work out right so when you heard it back it 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 wasn't audible at all (laughs) so it wasn't salvageable so which was a bummer you know because we spent a lot of time on that so we apologize for not getting any podcasts up lately um, but we are kind of back at it, so excited about that. How you been? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Doing okay? Yeah. That's good. Your dad sent you this email, right? Yeah, my dad did. Why don't you tell people what it is? And Lisa sent you that as well. Uh, so basically, they're voting on it today, I believe, but it's kind of like a new uh, bill or ordinance that is going to change the way that counseling is conducted in Arizona. So if it goes through... Uh, essentially what's going to happen is I'll, I'll just read the, the quote from the ordinance. It says no person may engage in sexual orientation change efforts with a minor in exchange for a fee. In other words, minors and their parents may not seek professional counseling in order to address unwanted same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. Under the ordinance, the professional counselor would be fined up to $2,500 for each violation simply by trying to help the family achieve their therapeutic goals yikes so that's interesting huh yeah <laughs> it's a very interesting shift if, if it goes through which um you know my more pessimistic side believes that it probably will <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's kind of interesting the 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 center for arizona policy sent out this action alert um to uh some people that were on their list and and they and then they go through kind of why it's unconstitutional and and things of that nature. But if you're interested, you can always get a hold of Allie Miller, who's um, on the board of supervisors. She's the uh, uh, who is she? She is the county board of supervisors. So she's a Republican, and you can always go to her website at allieforsupervisor.com. That's the one I was looking at not too long ago. But uh, you can always contact her that way. Yeah, and I, actually, I, I do want to correct myself. I said for Arizona, but it's just going to be for Pima County. So I don't know exactly where the Pima County line stops, but yeah. that's that's where it's going to be at. Yeah, and, and it is interesting. I'm sure all parents want to be able to, you know, at, at some point take maybe their kid to a counselor, a professional counselor, and and talk to them about these issues. So mm. it is interesting. So that's news, definitely. For sure, something to be thinking about. Um, school's starting pretty soon, so I wanted to give parents uh, a couple tools, Peter. One of them is these books that I've been looking at called How You Are Changing. And they're for, there's one speci- specified for girls, one specified for boys, ages 9 and 11. They actually have a series, I think a series of six, in um, these uh, sexual instructional books that are put together by um, uh, a Christian um, uh, founder, the president of the Bushfires Foundation, Daniel Weiss. Um, 
and it's a guide for the Christian family. But they're cool, man. They're, I was looking through them, and I was thinking like a junior high person. This is this one's 9 through 11. And what's cool is they got pictures. Look at you know what I mean? And they really they really get into it. Yeah. You know, they really get into kind of the birds and the bees and how things work from a Christian perspective. They got great quotes from the Word of God. You know, the Word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Jeremiah chapter 1. I mean, it's just got a, a, a lot of good biblical um, context in it. So if you're interested in teaching your junior high about what the Bible has to say about your body and the kid's body and, and sex and things of that nature, you could go a lot more worse than these, <laughs> right? Yeah. They can get on the Internet and just watch a ton of porn, which is probably not going to help them. Where they could listen to their public school friends and that's <laughs> right, or yeah, or or even their private school, <laughs> or, friends, or their private right? school friends, yeah, that's right, and they're gonna get a ton of inf interesting <laughs> information. And right now, the the uh, stats on sexting is pretty high, so I think it's around twenty five percent send send nude pictures mm. in junior high, um, and I think it's around thirty seven or forty percent have actually saw a nude picture on someone else's phone. So people do send pictures. I know a lot of you parents go, man, there's no way I'm having my kid um, use a phone. And, and there's a lot of that. And, and I understand that. Everybody's a parent. You got to parent the way you want to parent. That's the great thing about what we have is freedom to parent, <laughs> you know. Um, the only thing I think me and Peter would maybe suggest is is that sometimes just taking everything away from your child or not getting them giving them responsibility might not be the greatest way to parent. It might be better that you actually talk to them about things because in this day and age, it's going to be really odd if they don't see something or they don't um, hear something. Mm -hmm. um, I just can't imagine too many kids today, even in junior high, not knowing and hearing a bunch about sex, explicit sexual material. So those are the two things I recommend. Are these are these books uh, are ages nine and eleven? Again, how you are changing um, is them. It's by Concordia Publishing House. Very cool. They put it together really cool. If you if you have a high school daughter, college uh, daughter, um, I think I, I love Marion Joan Jordan Ellis's book, uh, Sex and the Single Christian Girl. Um, what's interesting? It's a book for Young girls or um, even 20-year-old ladies, I think, would totally be into this. But I've read it, you know, as a guy. And I thought her biblical understanding was right on point. I mean, her theology was right on. So um, just the theology alone is good. You know, she says things in here that are just right on. She quotes great pastors, people that really have good understanding of the word. Um, so Marion Jordan Ellis's sex in the single Christian girl. That's what I recommend. And we also have done what's called the purity challenge, a book that was put out by my, Mike Cleveland. Um, and I've used that, uh, quite a bit and you can still get that online. It's called the purity challenge by Mike Cleveland. 
And it's a 30-day kind of Bible study on lust and love and, and, and the culture that we live in and what the Bible says about purity. Really, that's what it's about. So if you're interested in that, I think that's good for any junior higher and any high school person, um, you know, to just check out and just learn, you know, just get into the... I think what you'll start doing with all these books and what's near and dear to our heart is that they're really going to start equating maybe sex and God, hmm. you know, and that's why is that such a big thing for us, you think, Peter? Because like in our minds, we're going to equate sex with something. And right. if I'm not equating it with something good, like God, uh, for me, I always equated sex with the world, with my friends, with TV, pornography, stuff like that. That was the lens through which I viewed sex my whole life. And um, because of that, I, I, thaw that I saw that God and sexuality were kind of at odds in my mind. So I never really allowed God to enter into my sexuality and thought about things through his perspective. Uh, and no matter what way that you are struggling uh, with sexual lust, because all of us do, we just have different avenues of going about it. For me, it's porn. For other people, it might be um, kind of a demonized view of sexuality and, and kind of a hardcore amount of abstinence, uh, not wanting to do it and thinking of it as icky, or uh, you could go about it through what we were just talking about, um, kind of same-sex attraction, or whatever, whatever it might be. But if, if you don't understand your sexuality through the lens of God, if you see them as separate, you're never going to get the help you need. Um, so, you know, breaking down those illusions and stuff like that are very important, and, and equating God and your sexuality is incredibly important. Um, even, even this week, I was talking to some of the uh, high schoolers about uh, sexuality, and it's, it's so funny to, to see them and they're in church and they're like, they don't know what to do because they're like, what? Like, even though I know, I know they're in high school. I know they're talking about this on a pretty regular basis. A lot of them have already seen porn. Those who haven't seen porn, again, they've had discussions. And I'm not getting like graphic with them or nothing, but I'm just talking about sex as in general. And uh, they're just like, just the topic. Out. Just the topic. You know, just saying the word will elicit a lot of giggles, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a high school setting. But, um, it's it's because uh you know and I've challenged them before of like you know why why is it weird for you guys to think about God and sex like why why are those at odds in your mind and do you think that God would want it to be that way um you know and so that uncomfortability is exactly what the enemy would want for us you know because if he could separate God from an issue especially one as important as sex yeah. he's kind of one in your life yeah I know, and it's it's so true, and it, it's so odd because, I mean, to me, it's just, you know, you study the Bible, and it's really hard to just not see some, some uh, of the more, it just, that it's all, at all has to deal with this intimacy, hmm. um, and even in the adult church, you know, you talk to someone in the adult church about the Bible and sex, and they think it's like a side note. <laughs> you know, they think it's like a side thing. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, the Bible. I was trying to explain to a lady the other day um, at a um, uh, kind of a presentation conference that I was a part of. And I'll, I'll talk a little more about that. But I was trying to share with them that, you know, yeah, the Bible, you know, talks a lot about sexual things. And, and 
and she's like looking at me weird and i said you know like you know even like lot and people like that you know and she's like oh yeah there's a few of those in the in the in the bible and i don't think she realizes just that <laughs> the whole the the entire scope of the biblical narrative hmm. is that god is is wanting to be intimate with his people hmm. and so much so that you know it goes into great detail about the allegory of of a man and a wife and God and his people mm-hmm. and everything is allegorous in the in that way so the intimacy between a husband and a wife is the intimacy between God and his people so much so that it even goes into the work of the spirit of God within people talking about it in very intimate ways talking about it in very sexual ways that God's seed is in us, which is a very much a reference to um, the intimacy of a man um, putting his seed into a woman, mm. um, which I don't know how to get around that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's that's pretty intimate. Yeah. Um, so so even in the big church, I think if you went in there and said sex, you know, they go, oh. <laughs> and most pastors, I think, when they when they say like now we're going to talk about sex, this is really going to be heavy. Yeah, you know, this is really gnarly. <laughs> like, can you believe we're going to say this in church? I think when we go those routes, I think it just reinforces that behavior. Yeah, you know, where we don't know how to act adult about sex, and that's kind of weird. You know, just as you talk to some high school kids and they laugh, uh, <laughs> you know, you talk to most adults, too, and they just kind of like are uh, a little comfortable, too. Yeah. You know, where I don't know how many adults equate within the church that is equate sex and God mm. or see them as as that, you know, when you're talking about sex, we're talking about God. Yeah. You know, issues of God. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of. A passage in Ezekiel 16, which is, it's a pretty graphic one. Like the whole of Ezekiel 16 is very graphic in that understanding of God and, and his people and that type of intimate relationship. And, and in verse 6, God is speaking. And he says, when I passed by you, his, the people of Israel, and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, and you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again, I looked upon you and indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore in an oath and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, said the Lord God. And if you read that passage and you become uncomfortable with the verbiage that God is using, that should just give you like, it's like a little test for where you're at spiritually of understanding of where sex is in the equation of your relationship with God. And uh, the the beautiful thing is, is like Bo said, it's an, it's an allegory, you know, it's not, it's not literal, you know, it's not like God is seeing his people literally like a naked woman and wanting to be with us that way. It's saying that the same way that a man would look on, you know, you you men out there just thinking back to when you first met the person that you're married to and that attraction and that spark and that desire to pursue uh, and that love that develops and grows and is nurtured over time. That's the kind of love that God has for his people where he's 
man, he loves us. Like he cares about us. It's not like some distant, aloof God up in the sky. That's kind of like, I love you kind of, you know, but it's a God who's intimately in love with us and cares about everything that's happening in our life and, and wants to help us. And beyond that, marriage always denotes choosing that God chooses his people and he wants to spend time with them. And that's like that allegory. When you start to understand it becomes beautiful. You know, my wife uh, grew up in one of the most insulated homes I've ever encountered, you know, where uh, she was never talked to about this stuff. You know, when she first had her period, she freaked out because her parents didn't even tell her what it was. Mm. Um, that she, must be scary. Yeah, that would be, I, I told her, I was like, I think I might just freak out and start crying and die <laughs> if, if like I started bleeding out of there and didn't know why that was going on. So yeah, I mean, she, she, she didn't learn about any of this stuff. And even in the months where we were about to get married, she still didn't know uh, what sex was or how it was performed or anything like that. And it was, it was a learning experience for her. And so when she started to, the cool thing about it though, is that the way that she understood sex was through her relationship with me. So that means that her only filter of sex has always been through God. So she's always seen it as something that is connected to God, which is so cool. And her favorite book to this day is the Song of Solomon. Because when she reads it, she doesn't get weirded out. She doesn't get grossed out by it. She reads it and she's like, man, like that's the kind of passionate love that God has for me. You know, like he is that dedicated to me. He's that in love with me. And it just, it settles her soul. And so like Bo said, to, to separate God and sexuality, it not only has very deep physical consequences for your own sex life and what kind of things you're equating with sex, but it also has deep spiritual impacts on you of not being able to see God as being passionate for you, of not being able to God see to see God as choosing you, of loving you, of being in a covenant with you, of adoring you. You know, those are those are things that are really important uh, in some of the dark nights of the soul that we encounter in struggling with sin, death, things like that. And it becomes an incredible comfort for those who allow it to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so true. We could do a, another whole podcast on those issues for yeah, sure. Could. You know? <laughs> but but it is true. I'll, I'll kind of segue into um, my weekend. I, I was able to do a presentation called um, "The Bridge Between Pornography and Sex Trafficking." And when we're talking about sex trafficking, we're talking about uh, minors that are that are coerced into uh, having sex. Now, they can be coerced for money, for a place to stay, for drugs. However they're co coerced, they're coerced into having sex. So um, I kind of touched on three things, um, and that was teenage porn. And, the, uh, and what I mean by that is pornography that's legal, meaning everybody's over the age of 18, but it depicts people that are under the age of 18. Mm. And that's, that's still legal, um, and there's ways that people have got around that in not just this country, but all over the world. It's the like dressing actors younger. And that's stuff right. Like dressing that. a actresses or actors younger, um, changing the names, like uh, maybe misspelling something in the title so it makes it legal. Mm. Um, there's little things like that that, um, that uh, make these things legal. But anyway... Um, People have been into this kind of pornography forever, so it's not something new. It shouldn't be something that's a shock to anybody who's read any kind of history of any civilization. There's always been people that wanted to have intimacy with younger people. Mm. And obviously, 
we have to realize that the biblical narrative too is usually young women engaging in intimacy. I, I know we don't see it that way because we usually put our own cultural spin on top of the Bible. But uh, if we were to go back in those days, did women get married at, in their 20s? Mm. It was 25 the average age of getting married back then? Probably not. Yeah. Um, from what everything I've read, yeah. it's much younger, you know, where you have 14-year-olds getting married and 14-year-olds having babies. Um, and that was much more common um, and normal. Um, so, so we live in a in a in a sense in a um, much more pure culture where where we really had these laws of like, hey, we can't be messing around with people under the age of eighteen. That's um, though people definitely try to, and they they love to view it. So one point I talked about was the prevalence of of teenage porn. Um, porn that depicts young people, and and I think what's interesting about even touching on with parents is that, you know, young people with phones tend to want to see young people with porn, um, because it's just normal because they're young and they want to see young Mary or young Jim uh, naked, and so they want to send pictures of one another, and so it's normal for them to even look up young people maybe porn. Um, even though in our country it's illegal, it's uh, if they download those things and send them, send them to one another, it's it's the distribution of of child pornography, and and parents need to know that that's it can be that serious, and mm. something that's just done on a whim by a young teenager can be distribution of child pornography. That's pretty hardcore. Mm. So the second thing I talked about was um, uh, cam pornography which is interesting, and I think this is something that a lot of our listeners might not understand, is that cam pornography, which is having a camera on your laptop or your, or your whatever you're using, um, it's usually a girl, but it could be guys. Guys do cams too, but um, predominantly girls set up this camera on their laptop or whatever, and they're filming themselves. And it's just usually them. Um, it doesn't have to be, but it usually is. And and there's an engagement with the person who is is contacting them, um, and there's web, there's cam websites that are that boast 20 million members. Mm. I mean, just a boatload of people <laughs> that are on these things. Um, and so I wanted to touch base with that because it shows that potential perpetrators into sex trafficking can be people that are into cam work too it doesn't mean meaning they're into drawing intimately involved with people um i saw um one of the awards for the best cam you know uh website was um teenage cams so uh, again it's it's all legit they're all people supposedly over the age of 18 but they they depict themselves as being under the age or kind of young you know so and that's one of the more popular ones you know and so people want to engage young people talk to young people those type of things so that that's another area i talked about of of that bridge is there a potential for per perpetrators to want to draw intimately involved with people you know and sh and cam is i think about one billion dollars a year now it makes and then the last thing was that there's pornography that just is shows blatant trafficking like 
uh, stuff. Um, and uh, what what a lot of people don't know is um, a, a type of pornography that's called gonzo porn, which is um, can be very harsh. I think most of the deg degradation porn that we we hear of, meaning the pornography that's really gnarly. Um, and it's kind of weird, huh? Because, like, me and you have been around this long enough to know that there's some porn that you kind of go, oh, okay. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Meaning you're, you're not too, you're almost not too surprised surprised or, or yeah. weirded out by it all. Yeah. It's like, man, I looked up Victoria's Secrets and, and you know, and, and you know, something like that. And yeah. you're just like, oh, whatever, okay, you know. But then there's stuff that's, like, gonzo porn can be very degrading. Mm. It's usually usually um, can be harsh towards uh, women mm. um, or if it, it could be men men too I mean it you know that they're harsh towards men and um, things of that nature but it, it's called gonzo porn and it uh, usually has the person who's filming as a part of the the production you can hear him talk and there's no really editing out of a lot of stuff it's just it's not like a, a film of watching a movie and there's a, uh, a plot and everything to it gonzo is just straight sex kind of thing hmm. you know but but uh, that kind of desire for harshness that desire to you know choke someone or you know do something really hard to them you know harsh to them is another thing but hmm. it was um you know, it made me, th you know, it definitely is one of those, I think, eye-openers of, you know, you kind of do something like that and you just go, wow, you know, we live in an interesting world, yeah. <laughs> you know? There's just so much sex that's available. Yeah. You know, there's so much sexual stimulation that's available um, that it is interesting to think that, you know, a student's first exposure would be this really serious, this really gnarly stuff. You know, you know. Do you see like in this in in your time of working with students, like have you ever come across a student that really struggles with that kind of stuff? Um, none of like told me that. Like none none have admitted to me that. So I don't know one way or the other. Um, I have had students admit that they view. I've had a lot of students actually admit that they do view porn. Um, but none of them have really said like, yeah, I'm into like hardcore or like I'm into this, I'm into that. Uh, it, it's mainly for the students I talk to, the stuff that they'll admit to me is just normal heterosexual stuff. Or for um, some of the other students, some of the it's usually more the older students uh, and some of the men that I counsel will admit this that they they um, have a tendency to go to homosexual types of pornography. Yeah. Uh, but that's about as severe as anyone will really admit to me. Right. Yeah, and it, it's almost like there's an omission of porn, which becomes kind of easy. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, I struggle with porn. And, now, and, and let's face it, like, pornography is kind of so normal now. We live in such a porn culture, really, in some ways. I'm not going to say in all ways, but in some ways, certainly so. Um, that when someone shares that, like, I struggle with porn, it doesn't seem like a big deal to me, does it to you? Mm, not really. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it more it, honestly, man, and I'm not saying this is a joke or anything. It like today and age, when somebody tells me admits to me that they haven't viewed porn, it kind of surprises me a little bit. You know, like that surprises me more than someone saying, "Oh, I view porn," like I've seen porn. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and some sometimes I like when someone says I I don't like no I don't I don't watch porn. I almost want to say, well, do you watch like what do you watch? Because maybe you don't even know it's porn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> like yeah, you, you just never know, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's so many things that are that are meant to sexually stimulate you. That's why they put it in, mm. and and that's really the definition of pornography. Yeah. And I mean, the the definition of what people use, like, because obviously the definition, the strict definition of porn has never changed. Right. But like our definition, our cultural definition of porn has definitely changed. Yeah. Where it's like if I talk to, if I were to go back in a time machine 60 years and ask someone what porn is, they would describe pinup calendars as being pornography. It's not that they wouldn't have. It's not that they didn't have video pornography or like actually yeah. naked people there. Yeah, stag films and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, they definitely had that stuff. It was just the fact that their definition of pornography extended to pinup girls. You know, girls just in lingerie. Yeah. If I were to ask a kid today, do you think Maximus porn? A teenager, I would almost guarantee you that almost none of them uh, would say yes. You know, the only ones that would say yes are probably ones that come from religious backgrounds. Right. Uh, but I don't think I would get any secular 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, all the way up to 18-year-olds saying, like, yeah, Maxim is porn. You know, or, yeah, you know, like, that rated R movie that I saw that had a sex scene in it is porn. Like, yeah. you know, they they wouldn't say that. Yeah. And it's not that I think I would say that every R-rated movie that shows a sex scene is pornography. Right. Right? Because context is everything. What is the primary reason you know that that is in the magazine or um, on the in the movie mm. is the primary purpose to cause sexual stimulation. Is that what the director is doing? Is he is he saying, you know what, I want people to be sexually stimulated, so this is why I'm putting this in. Mm. Now, what's interesting is when you use that, you know, that that kind of definition. I mean, man, a lot of things can be considered pornography. Yeah. You know, that kind of really strict definition for sure, you know. So, you know, it, it's important that we talk to our students about God and how we we how we nav navigate in our culture, um, not through abstaining from everything because we can't. You know, we do live in this culture. So we're going to have to navigate intellectually through it and go, hey, okay, I see this, you know, how does you know, what is, how does it relate to God? You know, um, you know, can I bring this to God? Um, you know, those type of things. Uh, do I realize that sex is good and that nothing's wrong with sex and that, that this movie's talking about sex in a, a, as in, you know, it, it's a good thing. And that's true. Mm. You know, and there is some actual pornography that's portraying sex as a good thing. Yeah. You know, and it's not that, that's wrong in the sense that it is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. But, um, you know, should it be filmed and then uploaded and, you know, watched and everything like that? Right. You right. know, those type of issues come in. You know? I think that's something that we talk about a lot is that it's not that we believe that porn has introduced something, you know, quote unquote, new to the world. You know, like like we were talking about with pedophilia, um, homosexual type stuff, bestiality um incest that kind of stuff those kind of sexual um things forays have been explored by humanity since the dawn of man you know you, there's you really can't look up a culture that didn't have places where you can go to experience that kind of stuff 
uh, whether they're, you know, temples or whether they're, you know, different orgies or whatever. Um, the, the issue that that porn has really raised to light is the availability of it, the accessibility of it. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, back in the day, if I wanted to see something like that, I would have to go to a place. I would have to go to a temple. I'd have to go to a particular place or something like that to view these things or to see them or to partake in them. Yeah. And and most of it is like, I mean, I would, I mean, I remember writing the book and I I thought of like Kings, you know, you'd have Mm. to live a King's life. You know what I mean? To be able to have access to everything right you know right where the average peasant couldn't really do that on a daily basis no not even close man you know they could splurge like once a year (laughs) (laughs) right but definitely not (laughs) no absolutely Uh, so it was interesting you know the talk was interesting the presentation was was interesting um like i said it's definitely a hardcore conversation um um, to have um we did have a uh, uh we can switch on a different thing we have a question that um uh why is it that a spouse should not be the best accountability partner hmm. why why should it be someone else so uh when we get into accountability this is something that more me and Bo have developed this is not something that like um like these words that i'm about to say are not really in the bible where you know when we talk about confession there's like a broad definition of confession, then there's a narrow one that we call accountability. And the broad one is confession is just admitting something. So with confession, you have certain confessions in the Bible that are very broad. Uh, for instance, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 14, where Paul says, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance that Christ came for sinners of whom I am chief. Where it's an, it's an admittance of sin, it's just not narrow. Like he doesn't tell us what it is. Uh, he doesn't tell us what areas he's falling into. Um, or in Romans chapter 7, he talks about his struggle with covetousness. But we've talked about that before, that that word covetousness is also the, the same root word for lust. So it's like, well, what was Paul coveting? What was he lusting after? And he never gives specifics. He just talks about how it's an issue. And that, that could be like a confession. And then there are purposes for a broad type of confession. Uh, for Paul's purposes, when he's doing it, would be the same purpose as any minister uh, for doing the same thing, of just showing the fact that, uh, as he puts in 2 Corinthians 4, that we have a treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency and power be of Christ and not of us. So meaning he used that type of confession to humble himself in the eyes of his, um, the people he was ministering to in order to glorify God's work in his life, uh, which is really cool. But accountability is different. Accountability is a type of relationship that you build upon a mutual um, safety that you feel with another human being of confessing personal, uh, intimate details of sin with the intent of helping each other out with it. So it means it's, it's more than me just from the pulpit saying like, hey, I, you know, I struggle with porn, I struggle with lust, I struggle with anger towards my wife, I struggle with frustration, I struggle, you know, those are just broad confessions. I'm not really hoping that somebody comes up afterwards and is like, Peter, you know, like, let's work on this thing, let's do this, let's let's find help, you know. I'm not really expecting that to happen because I'm not sharing any intimate details. But when I sit down with you, Bo, and we sit down and we say, like, last week, you know, we talk about, you know, what happened between us and our wives, what happened between us and our struggles with porn, and we really get into the nitty-gritty of what's going on in our lives. We pray for each other, and we encourage one another, 
and we give practical advice to one another. And that would be accountability. And if you look at that, if the purpose of accountability is more than just, it's, it's not less than, but it is, it is more than glorifying God in that broad sense of showing your own weakness so that God can be glorified in you. Accountability is a, a practical relationship in which you could find help in your sin. And so because of that, there are certain qualifications for what we would say a good accountability partner would be. And the first one that I would say, is, I've already mentioned it, is that do you feel safe confessing intimate details to this person? Like, do I have a relationship of safety with this person? Or do I fear that they would gossip about me? Do I fear that my confession to them uh, would be taken lightly? Would they, would they hurt me when I open myself up? When I become vulnerable, would they be like, well, you suck, you know, and start Which laying into me? Which is scary, right? That's what a lot. That's why a lot of us don't want to have this kind of relationship because we're like, oh my gosh, you know, like what if, what if they did this? What if they did that? What if they judge me? What if they stop being my friend? What if they, you know, whatever. And that right there, that one qualification, I would say, would disqualify most spouses. And the reason is because a confession of this, making an intimate confession to my wife about specifics, not just broad, right? I've done broad confessions to my wife, and I would never tell a husband not to do that, right? To do a broad confession to your wife of, hey, honey, you know, this is the stuff that I struggle with. Can you pray for me? Right? That's a broad confession, and it's an important one because my wife does need to see the power of Christ in my life, and she does need to understand the struggle that I go through between my flesh. So she's, she's with me, that she's for me, that she's united in our struggles together. But those intimate types of confessions of like yeah. last night yeah. I viewed porn or the other day while we were having intimacy, I started thinking about this or, you know, like start getting into those really nitty gritty kind of things yeah. is going to hurt her. Right. Because that's, that's such a personal thing for me to confess. And it's such a personal thing that I struggle with and that she struggles with in our own intimate lives. And so because of that, that safety's kind of gone out the window where it's not safe for me to confess those things to her because of how she might handle that. And it's not safe for her for me to confess those things because of how it might impact her. And so safety's kind of gone out the window in, in most of those things. Um, is there anything you want to add to that before I go on? No, I, I was just going to maybe go on to Galatians 6 right. and just kind of read that passage to people just to help them understand kind of our, our, our thoughts on that one. Let me get there, though. Um, Galatians 6 says, Brethren, if any man or woman is overtaken in any sin or trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear mm -hmm. one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, obviously, Paul's talking about a person who's overtaken in a, any trespass. Um, right. So, and it talks about restoring such one in the spirit of gentleness. Mm. And and so a lot of times spouses, it's tough for them to be gentle, mm. you know, when it comes to sex. Now, the reasons why it's difficult when it comes to sex is because we've taken sex and we haven't talked about it in the realm of God, mm. like we started the show. And because of that, we've developed a reinforcement that sex is... Uh, this really weird thing and um, and it's really odd to talk about and we don't talk about it 
um, like I said, it's weird that we have a book called the Bible, 66 books, it's, that is dominated by this theme mm. of intimacy, um, yet we're petrified to talk about it. And so that's why when the subject of sex comes up in the confession, it becomes really, really scary. And there's a lot of fear attached to it, too, because sex is a vulnerability, um, probably more than any other, because there it involves nudity, mm. so which is a vulnerable physical state to be in. Um, and so we know that. And then it also brings up the ideas of the fear of adultery. Mm. And, and that is also scary. Um, to think that your spouse committed adultery, mm. like literally cheated, talked to someone, chatting with someone, again, maybe on those cam porn sites, chatting with people, um, and then, and then you know, really getting to know people, mm. other people. That's scary, yeah. you know. Um, and um, so there's a re lot of reasons why you might not be able to be gentle, mm. you know, at all. And And you know what? You probably shouldn't be gentle probably if, if, if some of those confessions come out, mm. you know, that, that I've mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, and, and what I mean by that is I don't mean be, be, uh, out of the spirit of God, mm. but what I mean is that there is a righteous anger that, that we have and we should have when, it, whether it's with someone who something's happening to our kids or something's happening to our spouse. There should be a righteous anger. This thing stinks. You know, this is not good. Um, and, but if you're not able to, you know, as the Bible says, be angry and not sin, hmm. then it's probably best that, you know, you allow your husband or your wife to talk to another woman or man, you know, in, a, in an accountability kind of way. Hmm. And not have you be that chief person. Yeah. You know. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a couple recently in counseling. And, a, and, a, and something that really hits me that's really important that I think sometimes couples are missing in their, in their recovery process of the marriage. Is that Titus 2 talks about older women teaching the younger women. Mm. And I don't think it, because it doesn't say older men teach the younger men. I think that's probably true as well. I think in the context of Titus, he's talking to women and he says it, um, you know, but the Bible does teach iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another man. And those are tools that you guys have to have in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. Every wife needs to have women that are, that are, that she can go to and that can feed into her. And every man needs someone he can go to and talk about things with. In honest ways. In fearless, honest ways. Not all sin is is as detrimental as other sins. There's some, some sins that are extremely detrimental, that are very sensitive, mm. and they need to be talked about. And then um and then and then and then there's, you know, obviously sins that are they're, you know, hey, I stole a paperclip today at, at work. You know, th those things aren't that major, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's not that it's not a sin, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jesus wouldn't have done it. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, those type of things. But uh, so, um, you know, y if you don't have the tools in the toolbox, then you're going to want to be your, your spouse's accountability partner because that's all they have. Right. And so to me, it's like you're missing you're, the reason why you want to be an accountability partner is because there's other parts of the Christian life that are just not happening. Right. Right. And and with that passage, you know, y I think you really see that where it's the restore such one with the spirit of gentleness. So that gentleness feeds into that kind of safety. And what you're talking about is like if if um if I'm confessing to my spouse those intimate things and it is violating a lot of the safety of our marriage then it's doing our marriage a lot more harm than good whereas if I have that accountability with other men in my life that are able to feed into me and help me and to get angry in the right ways and and encourage me in correct ways that is very beneficial to my relationship with God which will in turn benefit my relationship with my spouse mm. and her relationship with those other godly women is going to benefit her relationship with God and in turn benefit her relationship with me and so that's why it's so necessary and the other word that you could pull out of there which is another what we'd call requirement for accountability partner is the ability to restore um, is this accountability relationship really restoring me or not? And uh, we, we have a word for it in, in uh, recovery in, in this type of counseling circles. We call it pain shopping. And what we mean, mean by that is like when, when a man confesses to his wife or when the wife confesses to her husband, we have a tendency as human beings to ask questions to hurt ourselves, to our own detriment. So, like, if my wife cheats on me, I'll be like, okay, well, how was it? You yeah, know, like, what was it like? What, what was, was it like? like? What, what was, was he like? Yeah. When did you do it? You Which know? you know, no, no answer's the right <laughs> answer, man. It's all, <laughs> right. it's all bad. It's all just going to, you know, push that sore deeper into your heart. You know, it's not going to help you at all. And that's why we call it pain shopping. It's a, it's a question to which that there is no answer that's not going to hurt you. Yeah. And there are many different motivations of why someone would ask questions like that. Um, one could be the fact that um, they bear a deep amount of guilt. Like if I'm the kind of person who bears a deep amount of guilt, then my wife cheated on me and I'm like, oh, it's all my fault. I suck. I'm just a bad husband and that's why she cheated on me. I'm asking those questions in a weird way to validate my own insecurities. That could be a reason. Another reason why I might ask questions like that is because I really hate my wife and I'm like, you know, I just want reasons to validate my hatred of her. So when she tells me things like that and it hurts me, I'm like, oh, man, I'm so justified in, in not wanting to be with her anymore, uh, if that makes sense to anyone listening. And then uh, another reason why we might do it is for, and this is one that I've seen more common, actually, is it's to put yourself back in the driver's seat. It's to get a measure of control. Mm. And what I mean by that is like when someone cheats on you, when someone violates your trust, you feel very out of control. And so you'll ask questions like that because with each painful answer, you're putting yourself back in the driver's seat and saying, I have control over this now because I understand it. Yeah. And so it's not an attempt to understand your spouse better. It's not an attempt to restore them, but it's an attempt to actually validate something going on in you. Yeah, and that's some deep thinking. I mean, that is deep motivational thinking, mm. going, what is motivating me to ask these questions? Mm. 
That's right. And yeah. so there are questions, you know, with me and my wife, it's not that we never talk about this issue. We do. Like I said, I don't get into the same detail that I get into with Bo, but I still talk to her about it. Yeah. And she'll ask me questions, and there are good questions to ask. So, for instance, instead of asking a question like if my wife sat down with me tonight and said, Peter, what, um, like, talk to me about um, the girls that you watch and let's look at them together and see this stuff. Like, that would just be something that would hurt her. But if she instead said to me something like, you know, what are you feeling when you go to porn? Like, what's going on in your heart when you do that? And I'm like, wow, you know, like, I guess, you know, this last week, you know, I was feeling really anxious and this was going on in my life. And, and now instead of me giving an answer that's hurting her, I'm giving an, her an answer that's helping her understand me as her husband mm -hmm. and it's growing our relationship. Or like if she asked me a question of like, do you do this because you are attracted to other women? Do you want to have sex with other women? Then I could be like, well, no, that's not really the issue. The issue is just like, you know, it, it could be, you know, like what we've talked about before of just being um, so amped up from the sexuality that I give with my own spouse that I want, I want to continue it in a way, in a way that she can't uh, facilitate in my life, whether we're too busy or whatever. Um, or I could say something to the effect of like, well, no, it's actually, it comes from my selfishness of just wanting to control my sexuality instead of, you know, releasing and, and surrendering to God and surrendering my body to you as the Bible tells me I should do. And, you know, things like that, conversations like that can really help. It could really help. But when you have the added pressure of being, my wife being my accountability partner, yeah. Those conversations just can't take place, you know, because there's that pressure of like, she's no longer trying to talk to me just to understand me better so that we can grow together. Now she's talking to me because she's like, it's all on me, right? Peter's fight, his, his victory, his, his growth in this area is dependent on the way that we talk. And that's not really a fair thing to put on your wife. And it's going to kind of hinder a lot of the things that you're going to do in your marriage. Yeah, great points, Peter. If you look at other contexts of struggle, say food, hmm. what if you went up to someone and you said, why did you eat that cookie? You know, why did you eat that? You know, and they're like, man, I, because I wanted it. <laughs> I, I like, I like it, you know. And you're like, well, you know, and then they ate like a burrito. And <laughs> you're like, now, why are you eating that burrito? I, I, I would imagine that over, over a short period of time, the person would be quite defeated. Mm. You know, the big person. Yeah. They'd just be like, oh, man, dude, you know. Because you're constantly in them. You're constantly, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And they're and there's o and those are important conversations to have, mm. but not every day. Yeah. Not every day. Most people that struggle with sexual things know they struggle with sexual things. It's there. They know. There's people that I would imagine don't know, and there there's a self-righteous issue going on. But but the people we run into, they they know. And 
for a spouse to to say to them every day hmm. you know why did you do what you did you know why do you do what you do why are you the way you are hmm. you know you're like you're like well you know i don't know i i'm just a mess hmm. it's just i'm a flawed person you know um so there needs to be patience, you know, that's used in a spouse relationship. You have to have those conversations. You have to talk about things. Hmm. But learning to learning to talk about sex and intimacy in the kitchen, around making food making up part of your life will help you to understand your spouse much more. Um, meaning sex has got to, you have to learn how to talk about sex. And if you're fearful of things like pornography, if, the, if you're deadly afraid of that, then it's going to be very difficult. I could see where things could get very difficult. Mm. You know, um, just like it would be very difficult if you went to the person who's big and large and you went, you know, why do you like food? And they go, because I like it. It's enjoyable. That's going to scare you because mm. you're going to go, oh, my gosh, there's an, uh, a, a massive amounts of food. And my husband likes it. That means, uh oh, mm. you know, and. There's a massive amounts of porn and your husband or your wife likes it. And so you can't, you know, you, you can't just go, oh, my God, I'm fearful of it. You have you have to ask those questions that you talk about, you know, when you do ever have those questions like, yeah, why does it make you feel like, you know, you know, what what is what is, you know, those kind of really thought provoking questions, you know, those really ones that. Um, are safe they're kind of safe questions but they're really the motivation behind them is getting to know people yeah you know yeah. Um, and and not fearing you know um, that kind of thing anyway we should end the podcast there uh, it was a great one it kind of deal, dealt with the family and I hope uh, you know there's a little bit in there for everybody you know for sure so we'll catch you guys next week uh, thanks a lot for listening Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.